Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Ministries with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is episode number 33, recorded December 4th, 2012. He lifts me up. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith and Unconditional Love Ministries, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. This audio podcast is sponsored by Liquid Networks and WebVision Graphics, providing quality, affordable websites and website hosting to your small business, church, ministry, or nonprofit organization. We understand how the web works, so you don't have to. Get your free quote today by visiting www.webvisiongraphics.com. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And we continue tonight looking at Psalm number three, and we're looking at that last statement that David made concerning his relationship with the Lord in the middle of his situation. Uh, Let me read the first verses again. Um, Every time you read the scripture, there's always the potential of seeing something you've never seen before. So, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me, and many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance. And remember that word in the Hebrew language is Yeshua, which in transliterated to English is Jesus. He says, there's no salvation, there's no Yeshua for him in God. But, the but of faith, but thou, I don't care what they're saying, I don't care that enemies are rising against me, but thou, those two words change our whole perception of what is happening to us. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. And that's what I want to look at. I I think um, we've all got the idea of the story behind this psalm. That David is in the, it, it has to be the very lowest point of his life. I don't think you could get any worse that he is being pursued by his son Absalom who intends to kill him take the throne, and maybe worse than that, if it could be worse than that, um, a great part, a great part of the the nation has forsaken David and have already gone and are marching with Absalom against the city of Jerusalem. And David has fled as a refugee. And and so inside David, that, that what, what is churning inside of him, and and it has to be, and you must remember that the, the, these are humans, real humans, and so their first reaction to life is our first reaction. And, and the words that you could throw into what is going on right now with David is despair. I mean, really, despair, uh, hopeless. Well, there, there is no hope. You don't have enough person standing with you to stand up against Absalom. The situation's hopeless. 
and the the people it's sort of a vote with their feet that that they've said no it's time you went david we need absalom it's a hopeless situation it is discouragement taken to the nth degree you you can feel the running through the very veins of david is what's the use what's the use i've lost everything and then you can put into that soup uh, fear and anxiety. Uh, that, I mean, you, you cannot formulate anything of what will happen. Where am I even going? Uh, all of that. All of that. The, 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 to be in that situation is to have all the negative energy of a defeated person. Now... When you come to read the scripture, especially the Old Testament, uh, this is an area where you have to stop thinking like a Western person. When I say West, I mean uh, like a European um, or or like um, an American. Uh, The Western way of thinking divides us up. We've, We've talked briefly about it before. Um, and so in our Western culture, we think of our body as something totally other than the invisible part. And even in the invisible part, your emotions, um, your, your feelings that rise, that we don't connect the two. And so if you go to a doctor, he'll treat you like a piece of meat because he doesn't see you as a whole person. You're just a body, like uh, something hanging in a meat freezer. And that's what he'll deal with, with no thought of relating it to how you're thinking right now, how you're feeling, and what's facing you in life. Because the Hebrew people understood that you're not a piece of meat and over here is another glass vial with your emotions and your thoughts in it. Uh, No. Uh, And then again, uh, another sort of vial in which you keep your spirit and relationship to God. You are one. What, What you are in the one mightily affects the other. And so the other, you you are absolutely one cohesive person. And and therefore, to to talk about one part of you as if it's separate and can be pinned on a board like a butterfly in a lab, no, no, you can't do that. We are one. And so the Hebrews, right into their language and the way they thought and spoke, is that what you are inside is totally reflected in how you are on the outside. And so when a person is experiencing despair and hopelessness, discouragement, depression, when written through this soul is what's the use, that is going to be expressed in your body. And the Hebrews carefully understood that. Uh, when, when you have fear and anxiety, 
when everything in you wants to shrink and get away and hide and not be in this moment, when when your name has become defeated inside, well, that is showing in your body. And, I mean, I don't need to really go much into that. It's pretty obvious. When, when you are in that state, you are, you're cast down. And, and what happens? Your shoulders hunch over. You don't plan that. They do. And, and your, your whole face tends to turn down and look at the earth in front of you. And, and, and your face takes on certain characteristics of such reality that I can and you can look at a person's face and you can see that they can't hide it you say you can see their fear you you can see their anxiety you can it's almost like written across their eyes defeat and hopeless and, and so the Hebrews didn't sort of well, they didn't think in compartments. They spoke of the inner by the outer. They spoke of the outer by the inner. And so um, here is a person that is pushed down by circumstances. So the body goes down with it, and it does. And it actually um, it involves your, even your immune system. And so your physical feelings will go down with, with it. you're a whole person. What can I tell you? And, and so here you're pushed down by what people are saying. And it produces... I call it negative energy. I really don't like that term. But it's an actual darkness that radiates out from such a person. And again, you know this. When you go into a room, into the presence of a person who is in such a situation, you feel it before they've said a word. It's an energy that's their own personal energy at that point coming from them. Well, the the Hebrew people w- would speak of a person uh, as physically cast down, a- and they they would talk of their their bodies and, and their bodies being bent over. A- and when they spoke of he lifts up, he lifts up my head. You see, he, he's speaking of the the. God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit who come to actually lift me up from the inside which immediately will change the way I look physically. That's the truth. You, the, the head comes up because there's a certain divine power that is now within that causes the shoulders to straighten up and my physical person even the lines on my face are gone or they're on the way out and my eyes physical eyes take on a new light because this word he he lifts me up and so circumstances people have crushed me down and it looks like it in my body and my in, in my eyes and, and the way I, I look and what I project. And now he says, and this is the whole heart of this 
celebratory sentence. David is saying, this glorious God is the one who lifts me up, which means it's a lifting of the entire person. Interestingly, um, when the Bible, uh, yeah, the whole Bible, would use the term head, he's the lifter of my head, but Again, the Hebrew people understood your head is in fact you. And therefore, when it says lift up my head, it means to lift up my entire person. My entire person. And so here is the love power of this God who has sworn himself in covenant with us, illustrated tonight in David, and he lifts up our entire person as if this surging of life and joy and peace and hope gets into the guts of our inner core person and begins to move through my emotions and my feelings and the thoughts of chaos in my head, and I find my body stretching outward and my head upward. He's the lifter of my head. You get it? Begin to walk differently. Instead of shuffling like an anxiety-ridden person, you now have a firm walk and walk with purpose. Or the other words that are used in the scripture for this is be strong and of courage. You remember that is a lot in Deuteronomy and Joshua. Be strong and of a good courage. Well, that's it. He, he infuses us with his strength and his courage. And we see things through his eyes now, which gives us hope. Though my natural person is hopeless, he within is, is the one who speaks his assurance that he is with us and he's walking us through this. And so he has become to us our victory over circumstances. They're still there, but we have transcended them because we are actually participating in the life of God himself. And, and, and people, whatever they're saying, whatever their malicious plans, we, we have risen above it. And there's a light in the eye, and that light in the eye is radiating, nobody messes with me. And we're talking to the dark world who would seek to crush us, but now there's the victory of God in our eyes. If you've ever been to Texas, it's all over the place. Sort of the Texas state motto. You don't mess with Texas. And they'll put it just about everywhere. And, well, that's a jolly good phrase to describe what this is. He lifts me up. And there, that it's no longer a dark, hopeless look in the eye, but that radiant light that says, all the powers of Satan, you don't mess with me, for I'm in Christ Jesus. And of course, what I've just said, though it's really not part of it, but I'll put it in as a sidebar. This explains why the Bible is full of your body, 
You remember, it says we we raise our hands to the Lord. And I know so many Christians are terrified of that these days. Uh, But you see, if my spirit rises within me, my hands go with it, biblically speaking. Because what you are in your body is what you are inside. And interestingly, if the rise of my spirit is not matched with my physical, my spirit has a hard job coming to a conclusion of that. And it says, you clap your hands. Have you ever given God a jolly good applause? It's in the Psalms. It's all over the Psalms. And then, and horror of horrors to some, that it speaks of dancing. You have made my feet to dance. You've, you've stripped away my sackcloth and my mourning, and you've set my feet singing and dancing. It's, it's, the Psalms describe, and remember the Psalms are in the Old Testament, which means they're awaiting the better and more glorious and more expansive new covenant. But, but the Psalms describe the kingdom of God as a pretty rowdy place because with your body, your mouth, your tongue, all those words in the scripture, with my tongue, with my mouth, you read it in the Psalms. It's all over. Your, your hands and your clapping and your foot tapping. Yeah, he lifts me up and he's speaking of the totality of my person. Lift up my head. Lift up my head. Okay. Uh, But this phrase is also used, uh, well, it's used in the same way as I've just said, but it was used to speak, if necessary, of restoration. That is, in lifting my head up, it, it means he is going to restore to me everything that was taken away that caused this state of despair. And so, lift up my head, I say, has inside of it the meaning of restoration. Let me tell you where it was used, and you might have to get a King James Version of the Bible in order to find these um expressions because as the bible has been updated in language so we in the 21st century can understand they've dropped a lot of these hebrew expressions which of course we probably wouldn't understand and this is one of them and so in in what is it genesis chapter 40 i believe and and joseph is in jail you remember that and in jail with him there are two fellows who had worked in the kitchen and in the dining room of the pharaoh of Egypt. And and he'd got upset, the pharaoh had, and just took these two chaps and threw them into prison, and that was it. Throw away the key. And then they both have a dream, which I won't bother to go into, but they come down in the morning and... Uh, they, they look uh, disconcerted and, and upset that they've had a dream. And of course, in Bible days, dreams were thought of as a one way that God spoke to you. And, and so Joseph looks at them and said, what's up, chaps? You, you, you look down. And they said, we had a dream. Well, Joseph said, God will tell me what that means. Tell me your dream. And so the 
wine, the cupbearer, the fellow who poured the wine and sipped it to make sure it wasn't poisoned, gave it to the Pharaoh. And he was one of those in jail. And he told his dream. And Joseph said, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and you will be restored and you'll be his cupbearer. Um, that's all you need to know the story. But as I say, in our more modern versions, we've taken that lift up your head and given some appropriate English word. But that's what was actually said. He will lift up your head. That is, you're, you're downcast. You feel your life is over. You, you have been thrown into this jail. But now Pharaoh will lift up your head and you'll be restored. You'll go back to your job and you will again serve the Pharaoh with the wine. And so this, I say again, has in it the idea of restore. Um, it's, it's not an empty phrase. It isn't just saying, well, be happy. It is that your God, in his covenant love for you, is working in you and your situation, and he will, in his own purposes and wisdom, restore or as Joel puts it, restore the years that the locust has eaten. Restoration. And that word restoration, um, it, it actually means to take you back to the point where you got off the road. So, so whatever happened that caused you to come into this swamp of darkness, you will be restored. You'll, you'll, you'll go back to where you fell off the road or whatever caused you to get off that road and, and you'll be restored. And remembering there were more than one psalm written around this period in David's life and we spent weeks on Psalm 23. Do you remember he says in Psalm 23, which was written sort of just after Psalm 3, he said, he restores my soul. That, that's it. It's, it's, it's almost the same thing using slightly different language. He's going to bring me back. He's going to heal my life. He is going to mend me and bring me back. And, and that was the hope. And he goes on in Psalm 23 to consider that the next days and weeks might indeed be the valley of the shadow of death as Absalom bears down on him. And he says, but I will fear no evil for his head has been lifted and his eye is on the fact he shall be restored. And then he goes on and say, he even prepares me a table, a feast in the presence of mine enemies, goodness and loving kindness. They pursue me relentlessly all the days of my life. This, this is the, um, the idea that is here. Yes, David, he is the lifter of your head. Now, this is you've got and this is pretty obvious but i'll say it that this must be understood not as uh, as a human would seek to lift our head i mean we seek to lift each other's head as human beings but 
we, we are weak. We might have sympathy. We might wish that we could do something, but... And so we come out um, with words that are quite useless, sometimes even annoying. Uh, if you're in this situation and someone comes to you and says, cheer up, it will get better. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, that sort of stuff. Um, oh, I mean, I, I appreciate the sentiments behind it. There's somebody who really wishes me well, but they can't do anything about it. And so their words tend to grate upon us. Is it in Proverbs where it says it's like vinegar in the mouth? You don't do that. And it says again in Proverbs, you don't go to a person early in the morning when they're half awake and bang them on the back and say, have a great day. No, it's... No, that's just human. But so many times, that's about how we think about it. God says, cheer up. You know, it'd be be all right. No, that's not. When, When God speaks words that lift my head, it's not just cheer up. Nor is it that wretched legalism. I don't know if you were raised with this, but... Um, it, it is, you know, things are as bad as they can be. And, and, and some uh, Christian leader, figure, authority figure in your Christian life will, will say, well, smile, smile. Uh, it, it's, you know, got to got to show that, that God's with you and you're believing God. You know how it is. You feel like this. You feel like David did out there in the parking lot on Sunday morning. And you walk in the church and you put on those wretched Pharisee masks. And they say, well, how are you? And they probably got a mask on too. And they're probably feeling the same way. But they're grinning from ear to ear. And you're supposed to say, everything's wonderful, praise the Lord, while you're bleeding to death inside. And you keep up that facade until you go back to the parking lot and nearly collapse, you know. This this is not just... And of course, they say all of that is to be a witness, you know. Can't let the world know you're upset. Um... No, 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 none of that, none of that. I say it again. When God himself lifts us up, lifts up our head by infusing into us his love, his hope, his strength, and preeminently his joy, for it says the joy of the Lord is your strength. He personally, by his Holy Spirit, restores your soul. When God speaks a word, in that word is the power to bring it to pass. Or as it was said to the Virgin Mary, upon the announcement of the birth of Jesus, without a human father, it says, with God all things are possible. But the literal word there, is that no word from God is void or empty of power. That is, when God says, in that says is the power to do it. He never has an empty wish. He never sympathizes. He he doesn't sympathize, he has compassion. 
and, and in his compassion is his power to do what he wills to do. And so he, he comes and assures us, the Holy Spirit witnesses that we are the children of God. We are the beloved. He, he assures us when all our circumstances would, would seep it away. But, but he assures us that God's love is toward us, love. He, he, he's not just saying it. He, his love is actually powerfully for us. And he also fills us with light in order that we can see the situation, the whole situation, not just what they're saying and what's happening, but to see that in this situation we are indeed the covenant person, one with this glorious God. And so we see things through his eyes. We now think about what's happening with his thoughts. And we say, instead of words of complaint that reflect our inside person, we now reflect our inside person as we are joined in with the Lord and we speak his words about the situation. Uh, that, that's a, a presse of everything the Bible says. Essentially, it is the meaning, what I've just said, is the meaning of repentance, which is to change our minds and to think instead God's thoughts about us and about the situation and about the place of Jesus in it. And, and that inevitably must, of course, if we're one with our inner and outer, then I will cease from my complaining and whining and, and envying and self-pity and begin to speak God's words about the situation. Understanding, again, that every word that he says, all the love that he embraces us with, and even the, his words on our mouth and our tongue, they are endued with power to bring it to pass. So much so, so much so, that the psalm says, I lay down and slept. Good grief. Here is the, here's David's world coming down upon him to crush him. Who knows? Absalom's troops uh, are ahead of him and they're already searching for David. And, and he's up there, just a little gang of people, exhausted, wiped out. I, naturally speaking, this is not a time to take an afternoon nap. This is not a time to curl up and go to sleep. But David was so assured, the Holy Spirit so witnessed that the Lord was his salvation, the Lord was shield about him, the Lord was his true glory and so lifted his head that he could say, I'm taking a sleep. And he slept and he woke up and realized that God indeed had been his pillow, and the angels of God had guarded their pathetic little camp. 
Yeah. He lifts me up. He lifts me up. Now, this, you, you know that David is the vital link in the Old Testament that takes us to Jesus. <clears throat> the, Jesus was the great, 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 great grandson of David. But by the natural flesh of Mary from whence Jesus took his humanity. And David, in all of his psalms and all of his life, again and again, in so many different ways, give foreshadows of Jesus and what will happen with Jesus. And this expression, lifting up the head, because it applies to every one of us. There's not a one of us that hasn't sat in, in some form of David's experience. And Jesus joined us where we are. He is God loving us to the extreme so that he actually joins us where we are and becomes one with us. And he not only becomes one with us, but he shall represent us so that what happens to him happens to us. He takes our history so that he is where we are in order that we might be where he is. It's as if when he comes into his sufferings and death, he registers in under your name. This is your life. And there begins the sufferings of Jesus, which I've said before and won't go into it now, but the sufferings of Jesus are a vital part of our salvation. For in those sufferings, Jesus suffered every kind of suffering that we humans have gone through because of sin. We've we've all either done something that produces the suffering or we are persons caught in the crossfire of other persons doing that brings us suffering. We, We are part of a suffering abused and abusing world. And Jesus stepped right into that and drew it to himself so that the suffering, the abuse and the abusing of the world poured through him like a river of sewage. And so he was physically abused on on the cross, before the cross. They they beat him. They, They mercilessly mocked him. His own disciples forsook him. Peter cursed and said, I never knew him. All were part of the sufferings that Jesus knew, emotional suffering, mental anguish, as as well as the, the beatings, physical abuse. And then, of course, naked on the cross, laughed and gawked at by all who went by, is he experienced sexual abuse. All of the pain and and all of the the suffering that is caused by being alive in a world 
that that is risen against their their life and their meaning in God, and then he by choice enters into death. He goes to the bottom of our darkness. He goes into death. As it was said to the first Adam in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And Jesus walked into, by choice, that surely die in order to get to our very heart of pain and hurt and separation. He goes into it. And right inside the very death of the human race, Jesus conquered Satan, threw off death, opened the grave and declared that we were forgiven. And when he did that, that massive stone that covered the cave where he was buried was just rolled away like it was a pebble and he came out of death. Those words in Revelation that Jesus spoke to the Apostle John, it's, I, I, I can't, I've, I've said them a hundred times a day. And just, Holy Spirit, let it sink in. I am the living one, which means I am life itself. I am the living one. But these words, I was dead. Have you ever met anybody that says, I was dead for three days? No, that was, I was, I was dead, I was dead. I've been to the bottom of the pit. And behold, look at this, I am alive. And alive forevermore, because death can never again touch me. The resurrection of Jesus out from that pit of life in the flesh and in the dark, that resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate and the final and the infinite extreme lifting of the head. And do you know, it was prophesied as such in the Psalms. In Psalm 24, he he says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. It's a prophetic statement written right back there in the Psalms of the command for for all the gates that would hold Jesus back in death. Get out of the way. Lift up your heads. Let the world know. He's conquered death itself. He's crushed our tyrant under his foot. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Everlasting doors. Let the King of glory. It was his ascension. It's Jesus moving out of death. And the doors are just falling off, falling away. And he lifts up into the presence of his Father who says, Son, welcome home. But, but just a minute, I'm not off my subject, you see, because what did I say a few minutes ago? That in the scripture, the head spoke for the entire 
person. And so when it says lift up your head, it means your whole person is lifted up. Jesus, do you understand this? Jesus, the representative of you and I, Jesus is called all through the New Testament, the head. And if the head is lifted up, the whole body is lifted up with him. Which is the story of the New Testament. Oh, this is a lifting up of the head that David foreshadowed. He foreshadowed it gloriously, experiencing it within his own time-space experience. But he foreshadowed what David could never understand, that God himself, God the Son, would become human and as such become the head of the human race. The human race that, first of all, he would have to take through death, but then he, as the head, be lifted up, smashing death and the grave and every door that stood against him. And when he was lifted up, we were. So that Romans chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, uh, you know, and Paul says it so plainly, Romans 6, do you not know what, what's baptism all about? That, that you were buried with Christ and you were raised with Christ. Oh, please, this isn't poetry. This is your life. That you, before you were born, you were included into Jesus Christ and his resurrection His lifting up was the lifting up of the head of a body that you're part of. So Ephesians says, I know the exceeding greatness of his power, which is toward us who believe the same power that raised him from the dead. And he goes on and says, when you were dead in sins, you has he made alive. And you are now seated with him in heavenly places, far above all the powers of darkness and Satan. Yes, that's the ultimate lifting of the head. Happened at the resurrection of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into you to actualize that. Not just once, but all the time through life, ever renewing our mind that we might see this situation through his eyes. That yes, we're walking through the situation, but at the very selfsame moment we are seated with Jesus Christ in the heavens and all the power that was released in his triumph over death, is now quietly released in us and through us into this situation. You know, there's another psalm that uh, David did not write, but it, um, well, there were two actually. There there are two psalms. They were written almost as one. Um, It's Psalm 42 and 43, And this is written by, we're not sure 
who. He was just somebody associated with the temple worship, but he's now either a prisoner of war or for some reason he has been involuntarily separated from Jerusalem and the temple and the presence of God. And and as he's up there, and I say up because it appears that he was somewhere in Lebanon or Syria, and he writes Psalm 42 and 43, and um, he says, my, my, I'm panting after God. I, I feel this necessity of being in the temple. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. I mean, that's a, I understand that, I think. And I, I used to be in the temple I used to be with the voice of joy and thanksgiving. And in verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? And then he talks to himself, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And then he goes on, um, My soul is in despair within me. By verse 8, he says, The Lord will command his loving kindness or his covenant love in the daytime. His song will be with me in the night. Prayer to God. And then at the end, he says again, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. I don't want to get too deeply into it, but this is exactly what David is doing, just from a slightly different angle. It's a different person writing. Um, And in there, um, where it says at the end there, hoping I yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. If we were to translate that quite literally, it would be the help or the victory of my countenance, my face, my head. Then you put in a hyphen, my God. So he is saying that his hope and the fact he shall be delivered out of this is that his God, God himself, was the victory of his face, was the victory of his entire person. That is, God didn't give him victory, God was the victory. And again, he's talking about the head, the face, and so he is saying that his face shall radiate the victory, coming from within where he knows that it is so. I, I go to this psalm because it, the whole psalm, if you read the two psalms, 42, 43, you will see that they are this inner dialogue as this man wrestles with himself and ever brings himself back to this truth that God himself is his victory and that victory will be in his face his demeanor because it is in his inmost person i i I go there because what i've said so far that that god 
in, in holy trinity, he, he is the one who lifts our head. But I might have given the impression then that we are totally passive. But what David is doing in Psalm number 3, he is declaring he's the one that rises up and says, But, I don't care what, but you, O Lord, are, and so on, the lifter of my head. He's very active. And this is another and very powerful um, statement of how active we are in this. We take that which is ours. He is the lifter of our head. He presses upon us to be the lifter of our head. And isn't it tragic? I mean, it's stupid to the max that so often in those moments we prefer to bury our head in the mud and we're going to enjoy this misery a little longer. We're going to wallow in this mud bath of self-pity instead of as he presses upon us to be the lifter of our head, he who has entered into our suffering to be himself in us the lifter of our head. We say amen. I take that. I receive that. I'm not passive, just waiting for God to do something. Rather, as I rest in what he has done, I actively take that which he says is mine and wait expectantly for the restoration to unfold into life. this faith, for that is what I'm talking about, the faith that takes that which Jesus has accomplished. Oftentimes, especially in such times as this, that faith is expressed in giving of thanks. It is giving thanks to God that he is our shield. He is our glory. He is the lifter of our head. Even though my immediate circumstances and that which is so close my nose could touch it doesn't seem so. But faith takes it as an is so and begins to give thanks to God that it is so. I... I shared with uh, our partners, well, if you're a partner, you haven't got it yet, but I share with our partners of this ministry um, this, this last, uh, in the next few days, um, I, I share that Jesus, and this was not anything like this crisis, it was a trivial circumstance. They, they didn't have enough bread to to feed the multitude of 15,000 people. And Jesus says, what do you have? And they bring him the five loaves and the two fishes, which were more like fish tacos. They were just a little boy's lunch. And he takes that. This is all we've got. 
And to say we've got is almost an insult. It's almost an insult. I mean, this is ridiculous. Five stupid tacos to feed this multitude. It's something you should just toss away. It's better to say we've got nothing than to say this is it. But he takes what we've got. And it says he blessed it and he gave thanks That was the expression of the faith of God, the faith of Jesus that was saying, thank you, Father, that in this is your potential of fruitfulness and multiplication. And I just give you thanks in the midst of this. And then he began to give to the disciples, and you know from the disciples it multiplied until they ended up with 12 baskets left over. And we are in situations, and we come, and we give thanks. We give thanks. We bless this situation. This situation shall be the point in time and space where the extreme fruitfulness, life multiplication, restorative powers of God are made known, for he is the lifter of my head, and he has accomplished it to the full in resurrection. And so we take action, and we give praise, and we give thanks. And Jesus did that, though I'm not going to stop talking about that, Uh, But it's true, I I could say it of David here, let's stay with David, that that he could say this, say say Psalm 3, when literally heaven and earth fell down on top of him, only because he had been for many years living in this. You see, this is not a formula. This isn't something you say correctly at the right this this is a relation he is your shield he is your glory he is the lifter of your head he is it's a relationship and so in order to say psalm 3 on the top of the mount of olives in the situation he was in he he had a track record of many years where he knew that was the truth and, and he was able to bring himself back to center. And I'm saying, be in the presence of this God who is love and give him praise for who he is. And I don't know any quick way to say this except do that until you're saturated with it and you know that you, you've come to see that and believe it and... What I'm trying to say is you just don't go in and, and say words and say, well, it's like, you know, you don't go in and rub the, the magic lantern and the genie. No, it isn't just saying words that someone else told you to say. This arises out of relationship. And when the crisis really comes, you, you're ready for this. This is something we do every day to give praise to God that he is who he says he is. And there are some days you feel that, and other days you don't feel that. That's neither here nor there. Feel it, not feel it. It is the truth. And you come to that point in life where you know it is the truth. 
You know it. It's not a formula. You just know that's the way it is. It's not something you say to make something happen. You say it because it is true. And so now in the crisis, David takes ownership of his life. He's not going to be kicked around by what other people say and all the feelings in his head and all the darkness that washes through. No, out of here. But thou. And he speaks out of his heart words of thanksgiving. You are. You are my shield. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. And... So it's passive in that I can't do anything to initiate this. God has initiated it. He has achieved it in Jesus. So I rest. I'm passive. But at the same time, I'm active in taking that which God has given to me in Christ and by his Holy Spirit. And the result, of course, is on into the life that followed in the next weeks after he wrote that. Indeed, all of that came to pass. And I I trust, I I know I am speaking these days to all of us. These are desperate times in which we live. And it is time to walk in relationship with him so that when crushing times come we rise above them knowing that he is our shield in that day he is our glory and he is the one that lifts our head well there it is i trust it has and will bless you and now the god who is almighty love the father the son and the holy spirit his blessing rest deeply into you this day and cause you to walk in the full light of who he is and that you might know in your innermost person he is your shield, he is your glory and he is the lifter of your head. So I bless you into the remainder of this week, the remainder of your life, and on into the forever. And that's the way it is. Amen.